And certainly in this second chapter, we see a, a wedding at Cana, and, we, and it's the first sign or the first miracle that Jesus performed in his ministry, and it was at a wedding. And I love that idea. Every creature's unique in a song that it sings, all exclaiming, indescribable. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. The book of John, chapter 2, starts with Jesus and his disciples being invited to a wedding. This is the first of many biblical accounts suggesting that Jesus was always welcome among those that were celebrating. It was the introduction to the Lord's first miracle in John's Gospel to establish the ministry of Jesus Christ on earth. The invitation of Jesus to this wedding says something about what happens when we invite Jesus into the events of our life. One day, we will be called to the greatest wedding celebration of all. Christ receiving his bride, which is us, the church. Now let's join Pastor Rob in chapter 2 of the book of John, starting in verse 1. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. We're just going to look at the first 12 verses this morning. Let's read through John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Notice what it says for us. It says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana. Of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does, that, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were there set six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. But you have kept the good wine until now. And this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. And after this he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers... And his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. You know, as we've been going through the Gospel of John, we've you know we're, we spent quite a bit of time in the first chapter for good reason. There's a lot there, 
And certainly in this second chapter, we see a, a wedding at Cana. And, we, and it's the first sign or the first miracle that Jesus performed in his ministry. And it was at a wedding. And I love that idea. And when we think of these signs and these miracles that Jesus did, in fact, the Gospel of John, the signs or the miracles, these events were cherry-picked out of his ministry. Do you understand? The synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they give a, a, a chronology of, of Jesus' ministry when you put them all together, including John, actually. But John's Gospel is very different because John's heart was to get across this idea of Jesus being the pre-incarnate Christ, the very Son of God, the Word become flesh and dwelling among us. And so he cherry-picks things out of the life of Jesus, and he puts them here. And why did he do that? Because he tells us in the 20th chapter, in the verse 31, which is really the theme of the Gospel of John, and that is... And truly, Jesus did many other signs, same word that we have here in verse 11 of our text this morning, many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and notice, and that believing you might have life through his name. So there's a purpose for these things. You know, the Bible's not just put together happenstance. There's a, there's a, there's a reason behind it. There's a theme of, of redemption all throughout the Bible, starting in Genesis, all the way through Revelation. And it's there if you'll see it. That's why Jesus could say on every, every place, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. In the volume of the book, it is written of him. And John's gospel contains seven signs or miracles that show Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah, we see the very um, we see it again in verse eleven in our text this morning. Underline that word signs. This beginning of signs he did, and in the book of Revelation, you remember when we were there not too long ago in, in Revelation chapter thirteen, the very first time we hear of that same word is in the chapter where it talks about the false prophet, and it says he, speaking of the false prophet, performs great signs or miracles, so that. He even makes fire come down from heaven. This is the same idea, Jesus. These miracles, these signs that he's showing, again, for a purpose, not just happenstance. God doesn't do anything by happenstance or chance. Everything is done with precision and reason and order, because he is a God of order. Did he not speak all things into existence with a word? And the Bible tells us with the same word, he's going to speak everything out of existence. He's going to create a new heavens and a new earth in a new Jerusalem, and we will be there forever and ever. That is the eternal state for the believer. What a joy that is. Everybody smile. I want to see it. Okay. All right. right, Ushers, can you grab that guy in the back row there? He's not smiling quite as wide. (laughs) But it's true. These signs, we see Jesus in this one changing water into wine, which he has the influence over the natural. We know that. And if he spoke everything into existence, certainly anything that he has created, he has command over if he chooses. That's why he could walk on water. That's why he could command Peter to come out of the boat and walk on water. And it would be so, because he commanded it, see. The difference, if God is commanding it, things happen. If I command it, nothing happens. In fact, I'm not even supposed to command anything. 
but when he commands. And see, that's the God we serve. He changed the water into wine. We'll see in the Gospel of John that he heals an official son in Capernaum. He heals an invalid at the pool of Bethesda. He feeds the 5,000. He walks on water. He heals a blind man. He raises Lazarus from the dead. All of these things pointing to the fact that only God can do that. And yes, only God can do that because it is God who is doing it. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And certainly... To, to compound that idea, Jesus gives those seven I am statements as well. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. And when Jesus says I am, he is basically equating himself to the same person. God the Father, the same one who, was, who spoke to Moses and that fiery flaming bush that was not consumed in Exodus chapter 3. God said to him, to Moses, out of that fiery bush, he says, Moses says, who who am I going to say who sent me, Lord? You want me to go back to deliver your people out of Egypt? I don't have any name. I don't have any clout. And Jesus said to him through the bush, tell him I am sent you. I am that I am sent you. And so when Jesus is giving these I am statements, the Jews knew very well what he was saying. And that's why when he would say, you know, I am the resurrection and the life or whatever, they would pick up a stone ready to stone him. He knew what that meant, and so did they. Don't let anybody say that Jesus never claimed he was God. The Gospel of John is filled with it. In other Gospels too, but this one specifically. Let's look at the first verse here. It says, on the third day there was a wedding in Cana, of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. There's a lot of things that happened on the third day that are significant. Can anybody name one? The resurrection, right? That's certainly the most significant thing that happened on the third day. And the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. The most significant thing that happened on the third day. But what about Abraham and Isaac? In Genesis 22, as Abraham went up there to worship with his son, and he bound wood on him and, and, and took him up there. And you remember what happened as he was about ready to sacrifice his son because the Lord told him to do that, and that's really quite crazy if you think about it because Abraham knew that human sacrifice was pagan in its origin. It was, that's what the pagans did. Why would God allow me to, why would he want me to do this? Well, he must have known the voice of God enough and believed that if he was to kill him, that God would raise him from the grave, and that's exactly what the Bible says. He saw him in a figure, but God stopped him before it happened. He gave him a replacement, a lamb as a replacement. And Jesus, being the lamb of God, that happened on the third day. The Lord came down upon Mount Sinai in fire before he gave the law to the children of Israel. He did that on the third day. He had them prepare and sanctify themselves the third day. I love what it says in Second Peter. He says, 2 Peter 3, verse 8, he says, Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And then there's this wonderful prophecy, and I couldn't help but share this with you. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 2, the prophet says, After two days he will revive us, speaking of the Jews. After two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Think about when Jesus was born 
from that, first, that whole first millennia, from he, the time he was born up to 1,000 A.D., that was the first day. Because one day with the Lord is like a 1,000 years. And then notice what the prophet said. And after two days, he will revive us. What happened in 1948 in that time between 1,000 and 2,000? 1948, what happened? God brought the nation of Israel back into their land again. May 14th, 1948. Very significant date. And then I love what Hosea says here. And he says, on the third day, he will raise us up. You know what that means? We're living in the third day. Sometime... Between 2,000 and 3,000, and I believe it's going to be sooner than later, looking at the way things are, he's going to raise us up. You know, and I think that not only for the Jew would that be true, because in this, think about how many years we've got. We're very early in the, in the this third day, this year 2000. But in that, the Lord could come at any time. We would be raised and we know that we will be with the Lord, the seven-year tribulation, and then the millennial reign. And before the, and, as, and when Jesus comes back, the, the Old Testament saints will be resurrected as well on the third day. Do you understand? So it, it doesn't take a long... We can't name dates and times, and we certainly are not, but I think a thousand years is a pretty good, um, pretty good uh, time frame to say these things are going to happen. Do you believe that? I believe it. I will be surprised if we're here in another 20 years. Maybe even the next ten. Maybe the five. Who knows? But notice there was a wedding. In a Jewish custom, the groom, he would come to the, his bride's house, and he would retrieve her unto himself, and he would take her back to either the home that he had made or back to his father's house. Doesn't that sound familiar? A groom coming to grab his bride and take her to his father's house. Isn't that what Jesus said he'd do with us? He would come and he would retrieve her and he would bring her to his own house. And they would consummate the marriage. And then they would have a seven-day feast. Seven-day feast. What are we going to be doing in heaven for seven years while all hell is breaking loose on the earth? We're going to be in the wedding feast with Jesus. Even the, even the prophecy goes with the, the Jewish Wedding traditions. And it was at a wedding that the first miracle was performed. How significant is that? Seriously, do you think that the Lord loves the idea of marriage? I think he does. In fact, he invented it. He established that covenant, that institution of marriage. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, let me just read it to you. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And then, male and female, he created them. Notice he didn't create two men. The world would be just full of muscle cars and guns and empty pizza boxes. No, male and female. He created them. What a wonderful thing. Male and female. He created them. And what did he say to them? Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, every living thing that creeps on the earth. And then in chapter 2 of Genesis, what did he say to Adam? He goes into a little more detail on, on that whole arrangement. He says, So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all the birds, all the animals. 
But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And then the rib which he, the Lord God had created or had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. God didn't need to make a new woman. He, he just already took the material that he made Adam out of, took a piece of that, and created woman. And woman literally means from man. That's what the word means. And I wonder if it was on his left side where the heart is. Maybe in heaven we'll see the scar. <laughs> and go up to Adam and say, was it the left side? He goes, you better believe it, right the heart, because she came right out of my heart. That's where God wanted her to be. He wanted me to love her with all of my heart. To treat her well. To treat her like she deserves to be treated. He created her for me to care for. And she's to be a help for me. And I'm to love her. And I am to love her. And I love that. that that's God's way. And there are those around us who scoff at that and try to redefine things. And sorry, it's not going to happen. It's been well established. This cannot be altered. Amen? It cannot be. So notice that it's in Cana of Galilee. Cana is a place right in the center. of. If you were to look at a map, and um, I apologize I didn't have things ready for you this morning. But midway, really, between the Mediterranean Sea and the Sea of Galilee, right there in, in, the, in the Galilee region, there's a little town um, of Cana. It's directly north, about nine miles from Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. As a young man with his mother, Mary and Joseph. And it was at this Cana, the, the name of it means the nest. And I think of I, I think of a I think of a mother bird creating a nest, you know, and I think of wedding and I think of what a mother or a wife goes through. And I saw my wife going through this same same thing too. And and women when they get when they're married and they start and they're they're having children, they have this wonderful way of creating a really beautiful nest. That's what it is. Their home is their nest. And that's a wonderful thing. Men can't do that. We're not designed to do that. But God created the woman for that. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a really beautiful thing. So this place in Cana. It says, now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to this wedding. Notice, Jesus was invited to the wedding. Is Jesus invited to weddings today? Does the bride and groom and the family, do they value marriage? And invite Jesus into their marriage. Certainly maybe for Christian marriages. And maybe even there's some kind of nod of respect for the unbeliever going into a marriage. They do it in a church because they've got to. And some of them want to, honestly. They, they, they have a, 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 a part in their heart that is reverent toward the Lord. But I fear Jesus' presence is not really desired. And has become more of a formality in many marriages today. So much so that people just go through the drive-thru in Las Vegas. Go through the drive-thru. And get, do you know they have a drive-thru in Vegas? We can get married? Or just going to the justice of the peace. There's, again, there's nothing wrong with that if circumstances dictate it, but where is God in your marriage? Where is he? How valuable is the sanctity of marriage? Is it being compromised? The definition, again, of marriage. Our culture is trying to 
cancel the Christian view of marriage. And it's not even a Christian view of marriage. It's a God, God's view of marriage. He created it. He has the right to call it, define it, and have us abide by it. But now we have people telling us that marriage can be anything. It can be between a male and a male, a woman and a woman. It can be between a man and a child. How sick that is. I heard of one where a guy actually got married to his MacBook Pro. Seriously. He married his Mac. Can you believe that? (laughs) But marriage is between one man and one woman. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Amen? And when they ran out of wine, notice the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Often wedding feasts again would last about a week and there would be a lot of celebrating and they would have wine. And the wine that you're thinking of is not the wine that they had. What they would do is they would dilute the, the wine because it would be too strong and you get inebriated pretty quickly. So what they would do is often they'd have one part wine and two parts water. So it would really dilute it. So there wouldn't be any people staggering around and uh, calling each other names and fights breaking out between the Jews. Um, none of that kind of thing. But that, that's what they would do. And so running out of wine was a very shameful thing in that culture. It's sort of like inviting your friends over for dinner not having enough food. Except in that culture, it was even a greater no-no if you didn't have enough for your guests. It'd be shameful. In this wedding, we don't know who was getting married here. We don't know if it was one of Jesus' siblings. It could have been a relative, a cousin. We really don't know. But whatever it is, Jesus, or Mary, she had a somewhat of a significant role in it because she felt responsible for the loss of the wine or not having enough wine. And I love the fact that Jesus had brothers and sisters. You know, in in verse 12 of the text we're looking at today, it says that he went down with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. There's been a doctrine in the Roman Catholic Church uh, called the perpetual virginity of, of Mary, saying that she was a virgin not only prior, which I agree with, Um, And certainly during, I agree with that too. But after Jesus was born, she didn't remain a virgin. Because Mary and Joseph continued to have kids. In fact, in Matthew 13, verse 55, it says, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Josie, Simon, and Judas, which is Judah, and his name, or James, and and his sisters, sisters, plural, are they not all here with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So Jesus had at least four other brothers, at least two other sisters. This is a pretty big family. So are you going to believe the the dogma, or are you going to believe the Bible? The Bible. Yes, we're going to believe the Bible. And notice what Jesus said to her. He said, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come this This word woman, when Jesus uses this phrase, he's not being disrespectful, although there is a mild rebuke here 
The word guinea is the name woman that he's using, and it's, it's just a very common, endearing term for a woman. That's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585 586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.